Welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. This show is the chronicle of my four decades in endurance sports, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. And I certainly have met my share. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. On today's show, I sit down with my good friend and colleague, Cale Poland. We share a lot of things in common, including our love for a specific breed of dogs, our chosen profession, and our contribution to the trail and mountain running scene here in New England. But one thing we don't share is an endurance racing resume. Kale's exploits as an ultra, ultra endurance athlete have been well documented by publications like Outside Magazine and by radio shows like uh, New Hampshire Public Radio and multiple other podcasters. From DECA Iron events, by the way, that's the distance of 10 Ironman triathlons done at one time, to 500-mile foot races, to ultra-distance cycling challenges, Kale has been to places and done things athletically that very few can even imagine. Yet, I find him to be so much more than just Kale Poland endurance junkie. My hope is that sentiment comes through in this thoroughly enjoyable conversation. So, here he is, Kale Poland. Kale, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is going to be super fun. Yeah, listen, um, uh, <laughs> there are so many things that I want to talk to you about. Um, and, you know, and as I was as I was reviewing your, uh, you know, your 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 resume and, 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 and perusing your your website, which is phenomenal, by the way, that's a I think that's a relatively new thing for you. Um, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. The website. But it's 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 absolutely terrific. And and um, uh, I, I encourage um, you know, the, the listener to, to check it out at kalepolandfitness.com. Uh, Phenomenal, really, really well done. Anyway, as I was reviewing all this, and 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 of course, um, you know, reading the you know the myriad of articles that have been written about you and and all of your uh, uh, ultra distance or uber distance, however you want to characterize it, uh, these um, these endurance uh, pursuits uh, that you've done. So I, I I've got this I've got this though this really one burning question sure. that I think has to be asked right right at the outset. Um, and that is, um, in your opinion, is, is owning two Labrador retrievers twice as hard as owning one Labrador retriever? I would wager to say it's easier than owning one. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you what, um, Sage immediately, our older one immediately calmed down, uh, as the, and became like a parental figure and Coco learns everything from Sage. So I've found it exceptionally easier. Like I wish we had done it sooner to be yeah, honest. It's, it, yeah. So, so uh, just, just to give the listener a little inside baseball here, um, you, you and I, you and I, you and I actually, we, we share it. We have a lot in common. Now there's, <laughs> there clearly are things that we, 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 we don't share in common. And that is, um, you know, your, your ability to, uh, uh, to, to perform and to complete these, these, uh, these, uh, uber distance, ultra distance events. We don't share that in common. We share a love for endurance sports, but, but sure. we, we, we definitely, there's definitely a difference there. I, I do not have that ability, but, but there are a lot of things that we do share in common. For instance, you and I both own two Labrador retrievers. And in fact, uh, our Labrador retrievers are approximately the same age. They are. Yeah. Right? Sage, Sage, you're older. Uh, your, 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 your older lab is, is how old? She's, 
Oh, she's like four, four and a half now. And Coco is just about a year now. So, yeah, right. So, so Tuckerman, my, my older lab just turned three uh, and Boone, my younger lab just turned one. So again, you, you and I, you, you and I have a, have a very, uh, a, a very common experience here. And, and like you, I totally agree that two labs uh, is actually easier than one. In fact, raising my one-year-old Boone it really has been infinitely easier than, than raising than raising Tucker. And it's not even close. And you are smarter. You did two uh, two dark colors. I did a yellow. <laughs> so now I just no matter what I wear, I look like I'm covered in dog hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, that's so that's so true, right? What what what's what's the expression that that labs only shed twice a year? Yeah. Six months in the spring and six months in the winter. <laughs> couldn't be uh, couldn't be more uh, true <laughs> it's sometimes like it's sometimes in our house it's like the it's like the wild wild west but instead of tumbleweed tumbling through the house it's like it's like tufts of dog fur tumbling so through the house yeah it's insane you insane. had that experience too <laughs> um so what one just one last follow-up question as it relates as it relates to labs you know too bad this isn't a dog podcast because you and i probably could talk for an hour about about dogs and labs. Oh, so easily yeah that might be that might be a part two or something <laughs> <laughs> in fact in fact maybe maybe that's a spinoff maybe i do a podcast about dogs um um but um <laughs> oh now geez now 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 i've i've forgotten the, the follow-up question that i wanted to ask about ab about labs um well you know what if it if it comes to me uh i i will i will ask it sure um so uh as as i said i was um you know i had the opportunity to uh to review your website over the last few days and um uh, one of the i, I want to i want to talk to you about uh, right at the get-go is uh, because we not only do we share um, uh, do we share uh, dog ownership uh, as something that we have in common, but we're also professional endurance coaches, and um, I, I'm really I'm really eager to kind of to, to dive in and and, and uh, dig in a little bit deeper on that. So, uh, for the listener, Kale, tell 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 us a little bit about about what about what you do in terms of in terms of coaching. What what's your coaching experience? What what are you currently doing? Tell us about tell us about coaching. Well, I began coaching in, uh, well, I, I guess my, my entry to coaching, I've been in, involved in fitness activity my entire life, you know, start, I mean, from riding bikes uh, to work as a kid to, I guess, riding bikes to work as an adult. And, um, but my entry into coaching, I guess, came uh, um, probably when I was coaching high school skiing um, like 10 years ago. And I mean, before that I was working in the fitness community, spin instructor, yada, yada. And as I coached, uh, and worked in endurance shops of many different flavors, uh, I became kind of like interested in, well, maybe I want to, maybe I want to help people kind of pursue their goals and, you know, taking some of my experiences that I had, uh, racing um as an adult and and helping to apply it to people so my coaching philosophy was kind of based on on that and when i would um i guess when i became a, a, a like a, a certified personal trainer if you will i i initially got a ton of athletes who were like oh i want to you know kind of do what you uh i want to learn from you what yada yada and 
then it became like, well, I kind of hit this, I would say like a, a point of stagnation where I was, I had, a, I had a bunch of athletes, but really nothing else. And I wouldn't say people were intimidated because I don't think I give off that vibe at all. I, at least I hope not. Uh, no, I, I, and, I, I definitely agree. You not <laughs> give off that vibe. And the, what ended up kind of happening is like, well, well, I need something to kind of soften my edges. Like maybe my, my reputation um, may precede me like, Oh, he does these crazy races. So he's going to make us do crazy stuff. Um, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. I began kind of on top of all my other certifications. Uh, I think one of the best things I could have done was, um, you know, become certified as a yoga instructor on a couple different levels and man, immediately things kind of took off. Um, it actually, it, it, it changed how I thought as a, I guess as a person and as an athlete as well, it's a very kind of life changing thing as corny and cliche as that may sound. Um, but it did help me understand, um, on a different level, the body and, and the mind in terms of, um, in terms of sport and, and otherwise, you know, a lot of my, I would say now I have a 50, 50 split of athletes and, um, I would say like that 50 plus, you know, 50 plus kind of person that just wants to be fit. And, you know, to be honest, and, and I'm sure you're, you're, you feel the same sentiment athletes, coaching athletes is really fun because they're super motivated and they generally do everything that you ask them to. It's the other people who have other things that create like more of a professional challenge that I, I really enjoy the 50, 60, 70. Uh, I've worked with some 80 plus year olds where, you know, it can be kind of scary, but you, you know, it's really just about listening and, um, and kind of working around those challenges and working with physical therapists um, in conjunction. I really, that, that is, I guess the true, my true love for the job. Maybe I, I rambled too much there, but. No, I, no, I, yeah. I, I think, I, I think that's a, I, I think that's an excellent representation of, um, you know, of, of of where you were and 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 how you got to where you are now so just, just you know just yeah. out, out of curiosity do, do, do you feel like um um your um your exploration into yoga and yoga practice has sort of uh, not softened you but softened your uh your uh your your sort of public persona right so that so that again to your point the things that you've accomplished athletically yeah. Um, <laughs> represent, you know, le less than, you know, less than one tenth of a percent of the, of the population, like just very, very few people on the planet have done what you've done. And sure. so it, it, it can actually be a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Like, right. um, like I'm really, you know, as a, as a pretend, as a potential client, like I'm really interested to see if you can help me not to do what you've done, but, but to help me accomplish what I feel like is the impossible, because clearly you've got some secret sauce that has allowed you to literally accomplish the impossible. Yet at the same time, um, um, I, I sort of have, I have a kind of general understanding of what it, that's probably going to take. And I know that I can't, I can't prepare like you have prepared. Right. So there's at the same time, I'm drawn to you because I want to learn from you, but I'm also a little bit, I'm, I'm a little bit terrified that uh, I can't, I can't physically do what, what you've done to prepare. And yet, and yet your yoga practice, mm -hmm. um, 
do you feel like that has sort of softened the entry point for people, so to speak? Yeah, I think I think it it initially did, and and now it, I guess it became kind of more of a fabric of who I am. Um, I don't think when people think of um, kale pole and fitness, I don't think they're immediately thinking of doing yoga, <laughs> you know. But it is a part of a part of what I do, and and I while I really do enjoy some of the, uh, I guess the philosophical parts of yoga, um, I have, when I began studying um, a sp specific guru who was way more form based um, and uh, like, and just working in, in the moves and postures, it, it's, it became more of a, a practical thing and less of a philosophical thing. Although I really do enjoy reading um stuff about um buddhism and hindu and um it's 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 just fun little like mental nuggets for me that to add in there once in a while but i don't push any of that stuff or or really even talk much about it maybe yeah, do a little visualization but not a ton of like meditation i did early on just to experiment with it but yeah, yeah. i mean i for for me um um I see a tremendous amount of value in, in the practice of yoga. Absolutely. And while, and while I have, I have never been classically taught. In other words, I, um, I, 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 I don't really un fully understand the philosophy behind it yet as an exercise physiologist, I, I can see it as a really important practice with respect to soft tissue stuff. Sure. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I actually, I have a soft tissue routine, uh, that I, I, I provide my, my athletes that, I mean, as if you were to watch it, you would say, oh, that's just a, that is a series of yoga postures. Yeah. Um, and so I think yoga is one of those interesting things that um, for someone like yourself, who's, who's really skilled at it, um, can um, can 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 provide it to their mm -hmm. athletes um, as a as a modality, as an important adjunctive modality to endurance yeah. sports. Now, you, you know, not all of your clients necessarily have to um, have to, have to buy into or ascribe to the sort of theoretical parts of it. Yeah. Right? In fact, I don't think many of them do at all. <laughs> like, like one, 5%. You know? Sure. Sure. But, but, but yet, but yet just by going through the postures, it ends up being again, one of these really important complementary practices, that yeah. soft tissue stuff, which I'm, I'm sure you probably would agree that most endurance athletes don't spend enough time with soft tissue work. You, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. They, yeah. So it, it takes a lot uh, for a certain driven mindset to be able to balance it out with, Hey, slow the hell down and, and do your, I, I, I call that the work. Like it, it's not work for a lot of personalities to go out and hammer a run or do a strength workout, but it is work. It, it is the work to have them sit on a mat and do their, um, the stuff that is going to keep them in the sport as opposed yeah. to, um, you know, just hammer, hammer. You can't do that as you know. I mean, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm curious, what, what, why do you think, why do you think if there's something that endurance athletes have to let go or mm -hmm. if there's something endurance athletes have to skip, what, why do, why do you think the, why do you think that really important soft tissue or flexibility work? Why do you think that's something that endurance athletes are like, you know what, uh, if I'm crunched for time, I'm going to skip that and just focus on my running or my cycling. What, what, why do you think it's so easy for endurance athletes to, uh, you know, to skip, um, or to put off 
their their flexibility or soft tissue. So work. I have this really um, funny analogy for that. And so um, it goes back to like my recreation management days at Umaine Machias. And I had this professor that used to say, the first thing to go in any budget is maintenance. <laughs> so if you think about like your, your time, um, okay, if you have an hour and a half to, to work out, um, a lot of people are going to take an hour and a half to work out, not an hour 15 and then 15 minutes to do your maintenance. And, and that, it couldn't be more true, right? It's, it's, uh, it's like my favorite analogy for that. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a I think that's a really excellent way to look at it. And I, I I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I see that. I see that in my own practice, too. You know, what what I'm what I'm really, really interested in is, um, um, you know, how do you how do you help an athlete? How do you help convince an athlete? that the impossible is possible, right? So uh, again, your, your, your history as an ultra and your, your resume as an ultra endurance athlete, really, really well documented from, from double, triple quad DECA Ironmans mm -hmm. um, to 500 mile races to um, you know, ultra distance uh, bike rides. Um, you know what, I mean, you, you really have done just about everything there is to do in ultra, ultra, ultra distance racing. Mm -hmm. Again, you, you have done what most people would be, would consider to be impossible. And in fact, and in fact, <laughs> I'm sure at times you've stood on the starting line of an event, having never done that event before. And also probably somewhere in your mind th thought this is likely impossible, but, but you've been able to get to a point where you personally have made the impossible possible. Sure. Athletes come to you and you know, it, the, 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 this, this concept of, of impossibility is a very relative thing, right? So if I've, for instance, if I've never run further than, than five miles, you know, the idea of me running a half marathon would seem impossible. Okay. So it's, sure. you know, impossibility is a relative thing. What I'm curious about is, um, you know, based on your experience mm -hmm. of literally doing the impossible of making the impossible possible, how do you apply your experience as an endurance athlete to help an athlete go from that is impossible for me to yeah. it is possible? In other words, um, you know, what, what is that pathway for you? I mean, you mentioned this in your, uh, on, on your website, like let, I'll, I'll, I'll read this for, for the sure. listener. Cause I think it's, it, I think it's, it's outstanding. Um, so you, you, you say, uh, you know, I tell you about these lengthy races, your races, not in some lame attempt to impress you, but to tell you that I understand what it takes to achieve a goal that at first may seem intimidating. Now I use the word impossible. You said intimidating. I think it's exactly sure. the same thing. Sure. Then you say you have a dream goal. Currently, it may seem like a world away. Again, impossible. Sure. But with the right path and progression, we can get you there. What I want to know, Kale, is what is the right path and progression? Well, specifically the right path. How do you go from that's impossible to making it possible for an athlete? Well, the interesting part, I, I can tie commonalities from thing, well, things that I've done. And, and it's just, and you scale it down. And eventually you're scaling. Well, it depends on what the person's goal is, right? I mean, I think any goal should scare you a little bit. If it doesn't scare you, it's not, not keeping you honest, you know, regardless of what it is. The, but the, all of the same uh, mental approaches apply to um, from overcoming, you know, adversity, like 
whatever that adversity is, you know, it could have, could be um, uh, an injury or some sort of previous condition, but you kind of just go through those speed bumps and learn how to talk the person through. Now, everybody has different hangups mentally and, and, um, and physically, or even emotionally, which can really control things. But um, ultimately, if it's something that the, the person has in their mind, I, I, I really believe that it can be achieved seeing what I've seen, you know, if they're in the races that I've done, you know, when I was in just a quick story, when I was in, um, in Mexico in 2010, it was my first foray. I, w- I was racing a quintuple iron. And at that time I, that was like, that was a really big, that was a big finish. Um, but I was down there and they were running concurrently a bunch of other events. I saw, Arthur Puckren of uh, the UK, uh, he was 73 years old at the time. He swam 48 miles in the pool, 48 miles. And I said, okay, um, there's something here that can be applied to the rest of the, you know, to everything. And I wasn't even thinking about coaching at that time. This was, you know, two years before I did any coaching, but just there's something special going on here where we've learned something about our bodies that we can, in our brains and how to move them in a way that's not injurious. And like, how, how do we apply it, you know? And how do I apply it to my life? And eventually, of course, I brought it to my coaching. And um, I really enjoy watching people kind of go through that process. And I, I love talking about the motivational part, you know, like wh- wh- what gets you out of bed? You know, like why, what do you live for? You know, there are people like, that just exist. and they don't have any passion or go like, I, I, I don't know how that works. You know, I like, you have to be fired, like fiery about something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, to- I to- totally, totally agree with that. Let, well, that, um, uh, so that's a, that's a good opening for me to ask, to ask this follow-up. Um, I'm sure you've experienced, uh, in your coaching, um, athletes who from time to time will describe to you as, uh, not feeling motivated. Now, now you know, as an endurance athlete, um, uh, w- w- one of the keys to performance, uh, one of the really important keys to performance is consistency. Right? I mean, I- in the end, uh, consistency, you know, is is everything. Um, you, uh, you, 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 you have to stay committed to the process. Um, uh, in order to um, to move toward uh, your your outcome, um, but but during that process, it's not unusual for uh, for athletes from time to time to feel um, to feel unmotivated. Um, how do you how do you handle how do you deal with with athletes uh, um, who y- you know need to stay consistent yet? Um, they tell you, coach, I'm just, I'm just not motivated to do it. How do you handle, how do you handle situations in which there's lack or low motivation? Well, first you look at why, like why, why is there a low motivation? Um, is it because you are three weeks into a build and you're just absolutely cooked and you know, you're, you know, a rest week's coming, but you're just like, Oh, I'm just done. In that case, you're like, well, okay, let's just be done. Um, and start the rest cycle early. Or is it, um, 
I don't like what I'm doing? Or is there like an environmental factor? Like is work, be, you know, busting your chops? Uh, the, the whole bit, I guess the first is, is the why and then apply the, I guess, whatever you need to apply to make people like enjoy it or not make, but it, <laughs> influence the enjoyment. You know, I, I, I'm really strong about like finding something that you're passionate about. And in my world, I, I'm very cognizant of like, okay, I love um, skiing and cycling and running and hiking. I don't make an attempt to push that stuff onto people. Um, may, may I make a suggestion if somebody's like, well, I like going outside or, you know, it could be the athlete that, you know, doesn't really know where they're at. Like, let's try a new take on this. If you do road running, let's try trails, whatever. And I eventually like you, they say like what your vibe of, uh, attracts your tribe. You know, I do end up getting some ultra people because that's who I guess who I am, but, um, ultimately, yeah, you, you just find passion, find the passion. That's that, that's like three words right there to your, to your answer. Long convoluted answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I, I, um, I, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. Um, you know, interestingly enough, as, as we, as we talk about motivation, um, although this, uh, this podcast, um, may air, uh, a little bit later than, uh, the day that we're actually recording it, the day that we're actually recording it today, um, when I looked at my phone first thing this morning, um, the, the temperatures were in the thirties and it's, and it's raining and it happens to be. Uh, 19 days into what you call real gains. Okay. And I'm going to have you talk about that in, in just a moment. Um, uh, and so <laughs> I think there's a really interesting connection between mm -hmm. our conversation about motivation For and sure. the desire to get out and do what needs to be done. Uh, and what you have created in this phenomena known as real gains um, and for 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 all of the folks um, uh, that are participating in your real gains uh, uh, initiative program, whatever, however you want to call it, um, particularly for those that live in New Hampshire, today is a really hard day. 19 days into the month, um, and it's 30 degrees and it's raining. So, Kale, uh, yeah. do this for me. Um, uh, tell us uh, what real gains is, yeah. and then I want you to, to to help make the connection between um, real gains and motivation. Okay, mm -hmm. and 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 talk through that. So what what is real gains? What 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 is that for the listener that has no idea what what, what we're talking about? So five, I think it was five. Yeah, it was. This is the, this is year five. So five years ago. Uh, here in New Hampshire and in New England, things are like April is rough, right? There's no color. Uh, there's not enough snow to do anything. Um, a lot of trails aren't open. It's just not a great month. Um, at least for, for, for a lot of different types of recreation. So I think it, I was, well, you know, I was working in a bike shop at the time and you know, everybody, this is usually a time when road rides start and, or like group rides start. So I, you know, you would see all of these people come in who had been spent months on the trainer, right? And 
just get absolutely blown out of the water in the first uh, in the first few rides. Now, that wasn't the driving force for saying, okay, let's go outside every day. But it was maybe it had a small piece of that fabric at that time. Um, I, I was riding a lot in the winter, and I just was like, well, April sucks. Like, let's find, let's create some sort of thing where you have to ride ten miles a day outside if you're on the road or five miles uh if you're doing mountain biking fat biking whatever and i kind of said like just this corny like hashtag real gains with a z riding and um it really kind of like first year there was maybe i don't know there was a handful of us and then the second year there was a fair amount there's uh, quite a bit more and it's hard to follow because a lot of people do it but don't use the hashtag or aren't on facebook or whatever it is um, so, you know, here we are, um, it just continues to grow and, and, you know, it really doesn't get any publicity and, you know, I, I mean, I don't care about that, but the word of mouth, uh, you know, kind of helped it grow. And what you see is if you're going out every single day, you're forcing yourself to create the time that you always say you don't have, right? 40 to 50 minutes, sometimes longer a day, it depends on who's doing it and and what they're using for a bike and ultimately like by the end of the month you've you've just accumulated all of these hours of aerobic volume with no impact that you can use for the rest of the summer it's just a great way to lay a foundation um regardless of what sport you choose um you know in the uh in the summer but yeah and don't don't you think kale that um as much as real gains helps people to advance their um, their 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 physical fitness sure. early in the year, don't you think that it, that that as much of it uh, as it is physical, there's an equal amount of it that's mental, um, right? Because it, it's <laughs> the, the the whole idea of New Englanders being you know riding outside every day or uh, fill in the blank trail running outside, road running outside, whatever it happens to be committing to daily outdoor activity in the month of April, which all New Englanders, again, to your point, know that April as this bridge or shoulder month is, uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes referred to as fool's spring. It's not really quite spring yet because we can get yeah. days like I just described, 30 yeah. degrees and raining. Yeah. Um, so while, 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 the, while this real gains um, phenomena is as much about advancing fitness uh, or it's about advancing fitness, but at least an equal amount is about the mental game associated yeah. with being consistent and staying committed. Mm. Talk, talk a little bit, if you would, about, about the, I mean, the, the physical benefits are obvious, but what, sure. what are the mental benefits of, of committing to daily outdoor physical activity in April in New England? <laughs> As I look outside and the wind is just whipping and the ground is, you know, the road is actually white with slush where I am right now. And um, it's, it's okay. So um, I have to work uh, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Well, guess what? Uh, you have to be, you have to have this level of preparation where, okay, I guess I need to have my lights ready for tomorrow. Um, maybe dry my stuff out because yesterday I put on wet cycling shoes and riding in wet cycling shoes in 35 degrees just sucks bad. <laughs> and uh, there's the whole element of like just creating the time. Like how do you, how do you for, or, or pigeonhole that time of riding, not only the time 
that it takes you to ride, but the preparation, you know, you get through April and you're like, okay, I have learned how to generate this time that I always said I don't have. And now you're using it daily. And boy, uh, this, this, this is, um, I, I have a few kind of really extreme examples of where this is like really created a cyclist or created an athlete um, and taken people to a whole new whole new levels um just just from like doing this month they just kind of actualize or realize who they are and what they can do and it's pretty cool it, yeah it's, uh yeah if you if you don't mind you don't you don't have, yeah. to, have to use names but give yeah, yeah. Give, give you know, give me an example of 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 how real gains has has sort of um slingshotted someone into the yeah. pursuit of something they might not have they might not have pursued in the way they pursue it so i have well i have one um, lady who is headed to, well, she was not a cyclist. I had her start with real gains riding a couple of years ago. I, I have these, like, I can, I can kind of, some people I can kind of push into real, oh yeah, you're going to, you're doing real gains riding. Like, uh, and you, you know, I don't force anybody into it, but I can really suggest it to the personalities that I know might be into it. And this person has gone from non, non-rider with no real direction to like just obsessed uh, cycling, um, gravel rider. She's headed out to, um, Iowa wind and rock tomorrow, um, which is a 300 plus mile, uh, basically, uh, round and a, and, um, it's, so there's that. And then not only, and outside of the, uh, athletic piece, um, I've had people just lose tremendous amounts of, um, I watched, my, I watched my 70 plus year old aunt, like over the, her first real gains, I watched her face just like shrink in her selfies every every uh, week. It was pretty amazing. Um, so we've had some pretty cool weight loss stories with it too. Yeah, it's yeah, just you like know, low impact and it's safe. You know, it's it's fantastic. C- c- cycling is a is a really is a it's a wonderful recreational opportunity. Yeah. And and I I think the two examples that you gave really are uh, are 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 tremendous. Um, you know, in, because you, you sort of covered the, the entire spectrum there, right. From, from, from folks that will sort of use real gains, uh, to, uh, to precipitate this pursuit yeah. of these ultra distance activities yeah. to also, you know, your aunt, uh, using daily physical activity as a means to improve health. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, because both of those things are important, right. Whether you're, whether you're finishing a 300 mile bike ride or race or, or whether you are, or whether you are using it, um, to promote health, you know, as I, interestingly enough, as I, as I think about real gains, although I've, I've not, I've not specifically participated in it, although I follow along very closely because I actually have, uh, and have had athletes, uh, from, from time to time participate in your, your real gains, uh, challenge. Um, I, I actually see real gains, um, uh, as having some sort of, uh, interesting, uh, benefits. In other words, I, I, I sort of see it in, in a little bit different, in a little bit different light, yeah. but I think, and I think it's incredibly important for, for this reason, you know, my philosophy is that, um, you don't need to be motivated in order to be productive. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, I always see so motivation true. as a force multiplier, mm. but motivation is not a catalyst to productivity. Right. Okay. Because if, you know, you know, this, if, if if we if we are waiting around to feel motivated to do something, oh, no. and real gains is a good example of that, right, yeah. Kale? Because yeah. you know, again, today 
it's 30 degrees and raining. There are exactly zero people on the planet that would be moat. I shouldn't say zero. Maybe there's one person on the planet um, that might be quote unquote motivated to go out and ride today. Okay. Um, Conversely, what if today was 60 degrees or 65 degrees and full sun? Tremendous amount of motivation. Okay. But for me, um, ultimately, the most important thing is productivity. Because mm-hmm. productivity essentially equates to consistency. Right. And consistency, in my opinion, is the most powerful activity variable there is. Yeah. Right. So how do I get to consistency? Well, I, I get to consistency by having a foolproof mechanism, a foolproof catalyst uh, to drive my participation. Well, for me, that's not motivation because right. I can't create motivation. You, you can't summons motivation. You can't, you can't will yourself to be motivated, right? It's this, it's this very obscure sort of thing that comes over us. And we know, everyone knows when they feel it, you know, what being motivated feels like. And and, and the opposite of that is true too. You know what it feels like to not be motivated. So if if we, if, if we're not going to rely on motivation as a catalyst, then what, what is the catalyst to productivity? In my, in my opinion, and in my practice, it's intention that is the catalyst of productivity. I love that. Okay, meaning, yeah. um, uh, you know, I have made my mind up that I am going to do X, Y, and Z. Yes. And because um, my own personal integrity is really important to me, meaning if I say I'm going to do something, it's really important to me that I follow through with that. Yes. Now, sometimes that might now that that might present a couple different ways. That might be, for instance, me telling you, "Hey, Kale, um, you know, you asked me for something. Yeah, Kale, I, I'll get that done for you." Okay, yeah. um, and and for me, in order to maintain my own personal integrity, if I tell you I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to do it. But it also applies to me too, whether right. I say it out loud or not. If I tell myself I'm going to go ride tomorrow because it's real gains and you know, I, I have this goal of writing every day. I have set my intention, right? Motivation is not part of whether or not I'm going to get out and ride today, yes. right? It's all about it. It's yeah. all about intention. So I think when we shift from, um, using motivation as a catalyst to productivity mm-hmm. to using intention as a catalyst to productivity, and if motivation is present, it's a force multiplier. I think real gains is a, is a, is a, just an exquisite example. Mm-hmm. of using intention to drive to drive productivity. Every one of the folks that are participating in real gains, um, last night, if they happen to look at the forecast, every one of them, okay, every one of them, right before they fell off to sleep last night, started to think, to your point, um, I got to set out my cold, my cold, wet riding gear tomorrow, right? And, um, and they, in other words, they began to plan for it, not only like logistically plan for it, but mentally sort of steal right. themselves to the suck, to how yeah. miserable it's going to be. And yet, yeah. despite that, yeah. You have folks today that uh, that will go out and ride despite the conditions. So what 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 are you, what are your thoughts about motivation versus intention? Well, it, you know, I, I think you kind of nailed it. Where it's just motivation is kind of something that comes over you, and it, it but it can also like that's so um, which is a great. I love how you put that, but it's also not really a um, a static thing like you could be completely unmotivated, have the intention to go outside. And as well, as we all know, 
the first, the hardest step is the one out the door. As soon as you know, you're five minutes in, you're like, oh, I actually feel really good. Um, this breeze feels really nice, you know. So I actually really needed this. I used to have this friend that he had this, like, he had this just this great way of putting it. He's like, you know, Kale, I've never gone out for a run and then come back and regretted it. Like that, and that's you that's something that I use for myself to get out. Like I, I can just sit there on the couch and be like, oh God. <sighs> and, then, and then like, okay, I remember Chris's quote. I will go out and I'll go and it's fine. So the interesting part with real gains, um, I guess on a more uh, a grand level, if you were to look at it that way, um, on a macro level, like days one through, I don't know, the first week is always really, people are really like motivated. But then like the romance and the novelty of like riding in all weather kind of starts to, you know, you have maybe some compound fatigue. Um, maybe you're getting a couple, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour less sleep because of your preparation or riding or trying to jam it into your day. Either way, you're not excited about it anymore. You kind of get get through day 10, 12. And by the time you hit that, you're just like, oh God, like this sucks. And I call it the um, the doldrums where you're just in the middle and you're not close enough uh, to the end to be excited about finishing, you know, but you're, um, but you're just in it and you're just doing it. And that is like just the perfect, uh, you know, this is perfect, like, okay, intention. I know that people are looking for my rides. I have people who are on social, like I have like clients who are not on social media that I'm like, if you don't text me your picture, I'll know you didn't do it exactly. <laughs> the map or whatever. So, um, you know, and then like once you hit that last week, you know, you may not be super excited about doing it, but you're starting to get more motivated just knowing that you're gonna have a day off soon. Yeah, and isn't and and isn't real gains a compressed version of like a sixteen week training camp oh or training God. cycle, right? In other words, yeah. um, you know, you you plan yeah. out a twelve or sixteen week training cycle to get an athlete to race day, right? Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of that training cycle, to your point, they are super motivated because it's new and it's and it's exciting, and we're we're starting off on this journey. Um, you get midway through the training camp to your point, the honeymoon is, is, is over. And now it's becoming not a chore, uh, but it's becoming infinitely more difficult because let's face it, our training doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of the rest of our lives. Right. Initially, um, it's very easy to make our training a, a top priority, not to the exclusion of the important things that uh, to us, but but it's easy to to to, to highly prioritize uh, our training plan. Again, you get into the middle, uh, it becomes a little bit more of a grind. As you approach the apex cycle, um, you know the the, the highest uh, volume or highest expectation of the training camp. Um, it really becomes difficult. It isn't until you get into the taper in which you're beginning to uh, approach race day that, you know, the excitement eventually returns. Um, uh, and so I, I really think that I really think that 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 as, as you, if you look at it that way, uh, that that real gains um, is almost like a almost like a, a four week uh, condensed version of a longer 16 week training camp. And to that point. Um, for folks that are able to kind of go through the highs and lows associated with real gains, I do feel like it ends up being easier for them um, to uh, to sort of um, stretch that concept out over an entire training camp. I mean, have, have, have you seen that yourself? It is a bit like uh, a longer version of a training cycle in much the same way that I talked about 
you know, you start out, you know, you start out super strong. Uh, I guess in motivationally, you starting out strong, you are just kind of in it and doing the work uh, as it progresses. Um, and by the end of it, not only are you in the best shape uh, that you have been all month, but also, um, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you've reached that kind of that final level. Generally, the the weather's nicer, so you're willing and wanting to go longer. You're going faster. You're getting your 10 miles done quicker. Um, and then you're kind of like, okay, you go into a rest phase after. And I always tell people to take like a, you know, to take an easy week. And then after that, you've, you, you have absorbed it. And boy, you're ready to go. Well, through well, in mid-May, you're like ready to rip. It's- yeah, and again, and again, I I think I I think the experience of 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 real gains, um, is 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 valuable on so many different levels. I think I I, I mean I think it's easy for people to, uh, sort of at first blush, see it as if I ride every day for the month of April, I'm going to get fitter. Right. That's absolutely true. But there are so many additional. Um, uh, sort of fringe benefits of it that I, I don't think people are fully aware of when they do it. You obviously are fully aware of it. Uh, I, I just think it's a really interesting phenomenon. You know, as, as we as we talk about as we talk about cycling, uh, and we particularly talk about cycling um, in adverse conditions. Although I'm I'm not sure you'll 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 tell the story here in just a moment. I don't think. Um, the story that you're going to share has anything to do with adverse conditions necessarily, but um, but several years ago, uh, you had a, 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 a very significant accident on your bike, um, and it uh, and it resulted uh, in you being out of commission uh, sure. for a while. And uh, I'm 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 always I'm always interested to um, to to hear about how people uh, handle and overcome adversity, sure. because uh, let's let's face it, adversity is is sort of part of the human condition. <clears throat> and, 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 and I mean, that, that applies obviously to our sort of everyday lives, but so, sometimes adversity, um, uh, pertains to our athletic pursuits as well. So, uh, so, so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, the bike crash, what happened and yeah. then, uh, you know, how, how did you deal with the, re- how did you deal with the sort of the mental part of, of the recovery? Sure. It was, it was actually Okay, so this was actually during real gains. Um, Sorry. Okay, thank you oh, for that okay. clarification. That's an yeah, excellent so, tie-in too. Four, uh, four, four years ago. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, it was actually almost four years to the day. Um, we were doing a group ride. Uh, we were. It was like you know those those first April days where it's like sixty out, and it's just it feels so good. Um, Generally, if you're doing a group ride, that's like the first night where you roll in and there's like 40 people, you know, it's a big ride. So we, as a group, went out on um, the WOW Trail in Laconia and uh, we're in a group. I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's probably smart for a big group to be on the WOW Trail, but sometimes like you know, like in Laconia, it can be hard, like to, to get on like other roads, because the roads are kind of really bad to exit town to get to the route. So we are kind of pedaling fast through the wild trail, which is a winding paved uh, bike path. And they had recently installed these, uh, these, I don't know, two and a half foot concrete barriers in the middle. So, uh, so that like, 
you know, ATVs or cars can't go on the trail. So we're kind of moving along and I'm in the back. It's the first night. So I'm talking to people and I look, uh, I'm kind of like, well, all right, I'm done talking to people in the back. I'm going to go see what's happening at the front of the group. Now in my head, when you're in a group that big, you sometimes lose track of where you are in time and space um, because you're focusing on the wheel in front of you or on the side or whatever. Somebody bumped in my elbow and I looked over for a second, like split second. And it's like, it's just embarrassing to admit it. I look over and then I look to the front and like right there is one of these things that I'm probably doing like 20 miles an hour. So I hit it. <laughs> so I hit a stationary object. We actually, which I, I always go back and be like, okay, how is that not dumb? But then I look at like all the Tour de France highlights of the guys smashing into poles all the time. Like that happens all the time. Um, so I hit it and I went over the handlebars and landed basically on my head. Now, the weirdest part with that is that was Sage's first year with us. She had like two weeks ago or two, two weeks prior, like chewed on my bike helmet. So I happened to be wearing this random um, like high impact crash helmet, like a skateboard helmet almost, which is really like the odds of that are just like mind blowing to me. So I landed on my head. Yeah, I knew immediately something was wrong. So I just kind of laid there like with my face in the pavement. And um, the, you know, the guys came, the, went through the whole thing and uh, obviously left the ER with a neck brace. And um, I, I kind of just resigned myself to like, all right, well, here we go. You know, I'm just going to be kind of sitting around for for the next who, who knows how long, right? Six, six weeks, eight weeks in a brace. So uh, I lasted and, and like I was home with Sage. I couldn't really work. Um, I, I was actually working on uh, like a business plan for what I'm doing now. So I used that time, right? I, I, okay, I couldn't really work. So let me work on something that I can work on. And that actually helped launch me to where I am now. Um, I guess just trying to stay focused and keep a positive mindset. Um, but I still had to walk Sage. So like, even if it was like the first few days are like so stiff and I was terrified to move, honestly. So I was driving, but not comfortable with it. <laughs> like, like steering kind of looked this way. I don't know if, you know. Tur yeah. Turning your, having to turn <laughs> your whole body. Cause you're yeah. in this, you're and in then, this neck brace. that's immobilized your cervical spine. Yeah. And you're just like super nervous to move at all. Like, even though it was a stable fracture, you still like, it's your neck, you know? So I would take Sage for a walk and eventually these walk, the first one was like half a mile an hour for like, and it took me an hour to go a mile. But after, eventually it became like, okay, walking, walking, walking. And then I started like doing little three week, probably three or four weeks in, I started doing little hikes, like very controlled, you know, in my, in my head, uh, just trying to be cognizant of what I was doing, where I was stepping. I probably shouldn't admit doing that, but that's okay. I, I had to like for mental health. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately I would say that uh, once the neck brace came off, it was a pretty, it, it was pretty easy. I was very motivated to get fit again, but also nervous to do something, do something wrong. I was like the time I was really into mountain running and I was like terrified to make, take risks running downhill, like just having like 
just having that like knowledge that I can get seriously injured. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think overall is a good experience. It, it helped launch what I'm doing now. What, um, what was the first group ride like after your your neck injury? The first time you were in a in, in a larger group, what what did that what did um, that what did that feel like? I, you know, I don't remember anything of note. I remember like maybe being a little nervous to get in f- too close to the wheel in front of me, but ultim- ultimately, I, I think I got over it pretty quickly. I got on the bike and it was a little nervous, at, like for the first few rides, but then it you know, I've been doing this forever. You kind of just, you come back to what, what, you know, and, um, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's so fascinating that, um, that oftentimes these, um, these adversities open doors. Yeah. Um, uh, and, 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 um, so often, um, people become so sort of laser focused that they, mm-hmm. they don't see the door has opened. Now, you know, using that, using that, that metaphor of, of, of doors being opened. Yeah. Um, sometimes doors don't open all the way and that it's obvious that a, that a door has been opened. Sometimes right. the door is just cracked. Right. Um, and I, I think that, um, I think that folks that have a, a high level of self-awareness are able to see those doors that are just slightly ajar yeah. and see it as an opportunity right. um, uh, rather than being, um, rather than being so immersed in your misery and your yeah. sadness and your remorse, yeah. um, uh, right. About yeah. what has happened to you. You don't, you don't see that. What, yeah. What, what, what is it? What is it about you, Kale? What, what, why is it that you were able to see that, that door being slightly open that opportunity to yeah. build this new business? What, what so you- I, I, um, one of the things that I'm really against is the victim mentality. You know, I really have a big issue with people who just, who just want to sit there and, you know, kind of revel in their own self-pity. And, um, I, I won't lie. I mean, I probably did that a little bit during, (laughs) like, like just, you know, just in a really dark place, but refusing to kind of live there. Um, and I think that's that, I think that like, victim mentality can cloud a lot of the vision of that door being open. Right. So, um, I always, I'm always thinking, okay, so if I can't do this, what can I do? You know? And that's, I guess that's a a very simple way of putting, putting it. Yeah. In, in, in sort of a, in sort of a weird way, did the, did the bike crash actually make you a better coach? Um, or a different coach? Uh, Maybe. Yeah. I think, I think being able to, well, I, I, you know, like I had a client that um, got hit by a car on her bike, you know, a couple of years ago, like being able to help talk through that or really any other injury, like, you know, that, uh, that comes along, like being able to kind of coach through that mental process of like, I can't, but I can't do what I want to do. Okay. That doesn't matter. Like, what can we do? To, until you can do what you want to do. No, I, 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 I totally agree. I mean, just, just as your, just as your own personal endurance accomplishments yeah. are, um, you know, you, you, I'm sure you draw on them to help clients through sure. those challenges. Yeah. You drawing upon your, your own experience in terms of, um, in terms of, um, you know, 
having an injury that has that has sidelined you and all of the mental stuff that you have to process to go through that you 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 certainly could have guided athletes through that process without experiencing the bike crash yourself but i do think those firsthand experiences are incredibly valuable whether whether it's obvious to you or not that you draw upon it i'm i'm sure i'm 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 positive that 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 is the case and it, it has to have at least made you uh, made you uh, a different coach. Let, let right. let's let's finish with let's finish with this, Kale. Sure. Um, so uh, you know, as as we've as we've talked about the things that we have in common, uh, you know, we 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 both own Labrador Retrievers. Yeah. Um, we're you know we're we're both involved in the in the coaching space. Um, you know, the the other thing that that seems obvious to me that uh, uh, that that we share in common uh, is race directing, and uh, I want to talk just. Yeah. A little bit for a few moments uh, sure. about, about race directing. Um, uh, so, so, so tell us, tell us what your involvement in race directing, race directing is. And I, and then I've got some, I, I've got some, some questions to ask you about that, but what, what, does race involved, what does race directing mean yeah. for you? I mean, what, what, what is your involvement in that, in that sphere? I love the duality between um, like of our similarities and differences. Um, I feel like I, I, I race directing is not a real thing for me. Like I don't, um, I don't consider myself a race director at all. I, I, I'm, I would say I'm not good at it. I'm pretty free flowing and like, I just kind of fling it out there and hope it happens. Um, and you are just so good, like so driven so um, uh, like everything's super organized and just very professional atmosphere. And mine feels like, I don't know, some, something other than that. <laughs> so, um, so, okay, I began race directing way back uh, about 12 years ago or, or so, I guess 13 years ago. I, I wanted to just bring people together of similar interest. And my first race, didn't even involve an entry fee. It was like, I just put it out there and people had to send a letter saying, Hey, I'm going to show up. And if they showed up, great. And if they didn't, there's no accountability, (laughs) but it was the Aroostook dirty 30. And this was like, you know, obstacle course racing was becoming a thing. I would kind of, you know, I would unjustly kind of, you know, not make fun, like minimize uh, obstacle course racing by, like, okay, we're just going to do this ultra and we're going to do lots of calisthenics, but there's no obstacles. Now I have a much greater appreciation for, uh, I'm a different person in that way, a much greater appreciation for obstacle course racing. I train a bunch of people that do that stuff. Um, so the Aroostook Dirty 30 lasted four or five years. And once I moved from Aroostook County, I mean, it's six hours from where I live right now. Um, it, I just couldn't justify making the trip for a five to 10 person race <laughs> of my friends, <laughs> you know? So um, from there, you know, I guess race directing, I would do a fair amount of things through Gunstock Nordic um, when I was managing there. Um, and that was on kind of a different level, I guess on this personal level, doing the race, the Ascension uh, race is probably the closest thing I have to a real race. And even that I put out like a month or two in advance and who shows up, shows up. And I just want to have a good time with people and laugh and, and, uh, 
you know, I don't make, I don't make any money on this thing. I mean, could I probably market it and make it something, but I don't want to stress about it either. I want to just enjoy who I'm with and, you know, uh, razz people who are on the chairlift and, um, yeah, and just enjoy a day outside on a mountain, uh, saying hi to everybody every 40 minutes. Well, you know? to, 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 to be fair, um, your, your, the, your ascension race and yep. and I'm, I'm sure very much like uh like like the like the dirty 30 way back in the day and and the other and the other uh low-key events that you have put on mm -hmm. are as much of an event as the boston marathon okay so um because i look i, I think i think there's any number of different ways to to get to the same point right sure. ultimately uh ultimately as as race directors um uh, I think we're about two things. We're about we're about bringing people together to share experiences, right? right? Um, and you know, be because of because of what these events are, it's about the promotion of physical activity. Right now, now some race organizers uh, have a different uh, have additional motivations, maybe financial motivations. Sure. Um, you know, you 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 clearly made the point that uh, that the financial incentive is not part of the game for you yet. Right. Yet I, I don't think that I don't think that the that the financial piece and or a certain level of organization either makes a race legitimate or or it makes a, a race right. illegitimate. Um, I have I have not had the good fortune as of yet uh, to participate in your ascension race. Which, by the way, for the listener that's not that's not familiar with the ascension race, let me let me give you my let me give you my very quick synopsis, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, it's it's held at uh, at at uh, Gunstock uh, yeah. uh, 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 Gunstock ski area Gunstock yeah. whatever the whatever the technical term for the, the basically the the, yeah. the ski area at Gunstock, yeah. um, and the race is it's a timed race. Mm -hmm. There's a six hour race. There's a twelve hour race, and there's a a twenty four hour race or so, sun up to sundown. So we may be going to something like that, but it's been um, a three hour, uh, which is generally the biggest one. Uh, a six hour. Um, and then last year we did um, one that there's no, okay. Uh, there's no chairlift ride. So in the three and the six hour, you run up, take the chairlift down as many times as you can in the allotted time. The one that we did sun up to sundown um, is no chairlift. So it's kind of like the hard, the hard person's division, you know, um, but you know that, and that's uh, ultimately the, the fun part about the race is that the, the trail or the road that goes up to the summit of Gunstock really does kind of mimic the chairlift. So you get this like kind of back and forth, uh, cheering, jeering, uh, from the people, uh, either on the, on the lift or on the road. And it's really just this fun community day of, of mountain running. It's yeah. Really I mean, I, I think, I think you, you really have this uncanny ability to tap into something that nobody else is doing. I don't know if it's, I mean, it must be your, your vision about these things, but, but, but just for instance, the gunstock ascension race, there is nothing really, there's nothing else like that here in new England. Now here in new England, we have, we have this very formal, uh, you know, mountain racing circuit in which, yeah. in which, you know, uh, there's all different levels of organization with these mountain races, but they're, you know, sort of traditional races. You either, run up to the top of the mountain and the race is over, or you run up to the top of the mountain and run back down to the bottom right. of the mountain. I mean, they're traditional, they're traditional trail races. Your, your ability to create something that's 
entirely unique and novel um, and do it in a way that is um, that there are very few barriers to participation. Right. right? It's it, it, while that idea of running up to the summit of a mountain might seem intimidating. The reality is you 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 make it you make it a much softer entry in that you get a chairlift back down, right? So all you got to do is just get yourself yeah. to the top and you get yeah. to take the chairlift back down. Also interesting, interesting and, and, and unique. And um, I think really what, what makes the, the race special is again, how you, just how you approach it. Your low key kale does not necessarily equate to, to disorganized. Now, again, right. you, I, I don't think you're giving yourself nearly as much credit as a race director, you know, on, the, the week leading up to the race and the day of the race, you know, we're juggling a hundred things at once. It doesn't right. appear that way to the participant, right. but, but the truth is, and you know this, that um, w- whether you're making $0 on the event or $10 million on the event, right. th- there's still a lot, there's still a lot that goes into play leading up to the event and during the event. What I, what I think is really interesting and unique. One of the interesting and unique things about your race is just, mm-hmm. for instance, it just, and this kind of speaks to, um, this sort of speaks to the vibe of the race um, that uh, participants are asked to create their own race number, yeah. right? Or something, or something yeah. like that yeah. on a yeah. on a on a on a paper plate or something. Yeah, we like- do arts and crafts bib time. That's <laughs> so you do your sign up and then you go over to the uh, arts and crafts table and cut out and make your own. You know, and we get people who just put the number down, but then I, you know, in the spirit of the race. Let's make something artsy here. <laughs> it's fun. It, it really, it it really is phenomenal. It's and super fun. um, you, it's so I fun. mean, your that that race, as I'm sure, like the Dirty Thirty, yeah. uh, has a very loyal following. I'm yeah. sure, as a race director, you see, you yeah. see the same people or very yep. similar people show up year after year. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a, that's an, it's an excellent example of yeah. how, uh, of how people feel about the event. I mean, there's. Obviously, you you know you can get feedback you know immediately after the event on on how wonderful people thought it was, but really the true test yeah. in terms of how you did putting on an event is whether or not people come back. Yeah, and it and it's been and it's been kind of weird because I think we had two years and then COVID for like the last two years, so like the date has moved all over the place. Uh, you know, like now uh, last year it was in the fall, not an ideal time. I had to compete there. You know, if you remember, like every race was last fall, like every single race was postponed to like September, October. Um, So now it's just a matter of I do kind of work around that mountain schedule because I don't you know, there's no point in me trying to compete with a series, a point series. Um, And I also like I want to see those people. So it's it has nothing to do with um, I I would just like to have, you know, the people that want to be there and use it as a training race towards something else or just a good time. You know, I have some people that come and they do, they can only get one ascent in the three hour period and that's fine. You know, like that's, I don't, you know, that's, I want to, I want to attract like the people that, you know, that can do nine laps, you know, nine ascents in the six hour period or 10. We've had that before. Um, And I also want to see the person who can do one. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and they're allowed to compete on the same course in the same space. It's just really special. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty common for race directors, either publicly or privately to 
complain maybe that's just too too strong of a term but to sure. uh, but to, but to talk about all of the all of the things that are really challenging about race directing and and talk a lot about all the things that they don't like about race directing um i'm i'm, I'm interested to uh, uh to actually know the the opposite and that is what what do you enjoy most about directing races oh far and away it's it's the personalities you know <laughs> like is it cool to see the performances? Um, sure. Uh, you know, I think it's just, it's just the community as a whole. Like, I mean, trail, trail running, mountain running, I mean, you know, like it's all, it's a different, it's a different level. Like I don't even, we don't even have prizes really. Do, you know what I, the prize was last year as I was like, I sent somebody to go get a bunch of beers, you know, and we gave out beers to the, you know, to the winners. Um, so, it's um yeah it's it's the it's the vibe like the people are so uh, everybody's really down to earth um if it's you know uh it's just it's not enough like everybody's just is so uh go go with the flow i have a hard time verbalizing it you know? yeah uh, well i think um i think i think any of us that that put on races can 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 certainly um uh, can relate to that. Yeah. Um, Kale, what, um, what, what, what are you up to now? What's, um, you know, what's, what's on the horizon for you, uh, both, uh, both athletically, uh, and professionally. Let's, 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 let's finish, let's finish with that. What, what are you up to now? What's, what, what's on the docket for Kale Poland? Well, I'm, I'm a month out from, uh, what I would say my summer season I, where I live. There's a, I have a lot of seasonal, uh, residents and clients. So, before that, I always try to take a little time for myself because uh, once summer starts, it's just a crazy, crazy time. Um, I haven't really told, I've only told clients and family about my next um, athletic um, endeavor or adventure, if you want to say, but um, it starts on May 2nd. So I leave for Florida uh, next week. And um it's called Trans Am North. It's a point-to-point -point triathlon, ultra distance. We will swim in Florida, in Lake Kane, in Orlando. It's um, 15 miles. And then, uh, well, actually, everybody goes to bed that night together. The next day, we start um, and ride all the way to Cumberland, Maryland. It's self-supported bikepacking um, race, um, It's uh, which is 1,300 miles. And then ditch the bikes in Cumberland, Maryland, and run to Pittsburgh, which is 150 miles. So um, really looking forward to that time to just be in my own headspace. <laughs> it's been a long kind of year in terms of just work and coaching and stuff. And I just, uh, it would be really great to, to kind of dive in and just, I haven't done anything grand, if you will, uh, for like four years. So it's, it's, we're long overdue here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have you back on the show after that oh, and talk great. about and talk about that experience. Um, <laughs> so it, 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 it sounds classic kale Poland yeah, to I'm me. So um, and, uh, and, and, you know, as, as, as you know, from your experience, there are always amazing stories that come out of multi-day racing, right? Oh I mean, gosh. that's, it's, it's, you know, these, these events are, as they play out, they almost play out like a novel, right? With twists and turns and highs and lows. And really it's a, yeah. it's an, they end up being epic stories. Yes. Um, 
and and uh, and and again, what professionally? Yeah, I mean, I guess you mentioned that you've you you're you're getting ready you're getting ready to be to be busy. Uh, but any anything new on the horizon professionally, um, or or just sort of much much the same for you? Uh, you know, I. <laughs> I do feel it, it's funny that you ask this. I'm in this place of I, I get stagnant very quick. I feel stagnant very quick. And that's why I'm constantly kind of changing things subtly or trying to learn new things. Um, I guess I, I'm waiting to go through this event. I, like I always have these huge or long bouts of clarity after these big events um, because I'm no longer thinking about any like my, my mind is just like settled for, for an extended time. And generally that's when I'm like, okay, I learn where I need to go next. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but ultimately I know there's some growth coming because I have a, a nice clear uh, headspace on the way. <laughs> Right now, I'm everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 yeah. like it's like these events are your vision yeah. quest. Oh, a hundred percent. And I've definitely used that that term as well uh, in these things. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. So I I I totally get not yeah. wanting to commit to what's next for you professionally because ultimately, um, uh, you um, you are, uh, I'm sure you are anticipating what yeah. comes out of the event. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know what what it, what is the next thing for me right to strip to 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 be in, in to be into that experience and and to lean into that experience as a way to strip down all of the noise and to and uh -huh. strip down not the right not the right not not the right analogy but to no, to, right. to, to turn the volume down on yeah. all the other noise that that is and I'm not necessarily suggesting that, that, that all the additional noise is negative, but uh, <laughs> sometimes with everything we've got going on, you know, it is like it is like there's a lot of white noise that ends up happening. I suspect that part of this is these events help you to turn the dial down on the volume yeah. there to allow you moments to your point, uh, yeah. moments of clarity in which it becomes obvious to you by the end of the event or immediately after the event what the next thing is for you. Yeah. These events are definitely uh, the. I, I don't. I don't look at my phone. I don't. I'm not working. I don't have people asking me questions. Um, it's just. It's just. Uh, you're in the moment. It's very meditative for a very long time, and um, it's. It's a. It, there's just. A, that is what keeps me coming back to these things. It's. It's not the. It's not the accomplishment or how people talk about it. It's, it's like, okay, you just went through a journey and you, you've learned something about yourself. And this race is going to have a different flair in that way where I, you know, you're there, there's no organ, you know, there aren't people cheering you on. Like you're just out there, you know, you're sleeping, sleeping on the side of the road. And um, I just, I'm so excited for it. <laughs> well, I, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to hearing more about it. Kale, I, I really appreciate the conversation this morning. Uh, I this mean, this has so been, fun. this has been phenomenal. Thank you again for, uh, for appearing on the show. Yeah, the man that was, this was, this was so, uh, fun to not kind of regurgitate some of the same stories I've done and, and you're, you're just top notch, man. You're, you're, you're fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, th thanks again, Kale. Have a great day. Yes, you as well. Thank you. See you. <laughs> Kale is such a great interview because he's interesting, he's affable, and he's insightful. 
The ability to apply his athletic experiences to help his clients reach previously unimaginable levels of fitness makes him one of the most successful and sought after coaches in the area. And while he downplays his skill as a race director to a person, everyone that participates in his events walks away having had a memorable experience. His positive energy is infectious and, as well and, and makes him fun to be around. I, I always enjoy my time with him. Well, if you liked what you heard, please consider giving the show a follow. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.